0: The chief of radiology at a major teaching hospital was working with third year med students. And as part of a teaching exercise, he put an x-ray up. He says, I want you to diagnose this patient. And so he asked the normal questions. What's her gender? It's female? Do you notice any spots on her lungs? No. You notice an enlarged heart? No, it looks normal any tumors, any infections that you could see. And they're looking after every question, they're trying to find out what is the purpose behind this x-ray, what what are we missing? And so one of the students almost sheepishly said, well, what are the presenting symptoms? Said, well, she's had a cough for a few days, no fever, no chills, no weight loss or weight gain, no night sweats. And so one of them said, well, Sounds to me like it's just a common cold. And they all nodded thinking, or he had just tricked us, right? He shows us this completely normal x-ray to see if we can find something wrong with it. And the chief of radiology says, well, I just want you to know that the attending room emergency physician last night came to the same conclusion. The radiology resident last night and the one this morning also looked at him and they agree with you. They came to the same conclusion. So. The students were feeling pretty good about themselves until the resident said, but I just called the patient right before I came in, asked her to come back because I believe she has cancer. The students look up at the x-ray, what hadn't they seen? And then he asked them, where's her left clavicle? It was completely gone. And he said, I believe it's been eaten by cancer. Dr. Matthew Slee said he learned an important lesson that day that sometimes the most important thing to look at when something is going wrong is what's missing. Sometimes the most important thing to look at when something is going wrong is what's missing. I think what's true in medicine is also true in your spiritual life. Why do we not always experience the joy in the Lord we think we should feel? Why do we not experience His power and His anointing? Why do we not have that sense of intimacy? Well, maybe it's because there's something missing in our lives. What is that? What is the missing left clavicle in so many Christians' lives today? I believe the answer is silence. If we want the fullness of life in Christ, a life of joy, empowerment, and intimacy, we must learn to cultivate the quiet. Our kids are going away to camp. We're gonna be talking about camp themes the next few weeks because it's healthy for kids to go away and get out of the normal routine and spend some extra time listening to the Lord and seeking the Lord, but what's true of our children is just as important to us that in the midst of our days, not once a year, but as a regular rhythm in our life that we are getting away to focus on the Lord. But I know at the start of this look into scripture, it's one of the things we fear and loathe the most. It may be one of the most difficult spiritual disciplines of all time, anything but being quiet, anything, but being silent. But I'd like to suggest, biblically speaking, the difference between an empowered, joyful, rock solid life and a life that has led astray to idols often is directly tied to how we approach boredom and the silence. Let me give an example in the Old Testament. When Moses went up on the mountain, we read this. In the book of Exodus, that Moses went up on the mountain, this is 24, 15 through 16, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the cloud. Oh, this makes it sound so romantic. Moses went up on the mountain to meet with God. A cloud covers the mountain, but I come from Seattle. It's a fancy way of saying fog, all right? You get a little bit of fog in Denver about 55 days out of the year. Seattle gets fog 165 days out of the year. And it's its own kind of fog. I remember hating it growing up because it's so oppressive and dreary, it clings to you. I couldn't run in it. You'd be taking your life in your own hands. I mean, you could hardly see five feet in front of you. Often flights would be canceled or diverted out of Seattle. It is this dreary thing. I mean, if you're on vacation, there's a little fog somewhere and it lifts while you're having a cup of coffee. Nice little time, it's exciting to see. Six days sitting in the fog with nothing to read, nothing to watch, nothing to listen to. How many of us would do that? Aren't most of us, if you're like me, God, I've got six minutes, all right? I've got things to do. If you wanna speak, speak. Moses was willing to sit in the fog for six days with nothing. On the seventh day, God began to speak. And what happened? The presence of God, the stamp on Moses of God's glory was so strong, what do you have to do when he came down? You know, what do you have to do? He had to put a veil over his face. The presence of God on you is too strong, Moses, put, put a veil on it. Now let's look at another group of people, the Israelites, the exact same time that Moses was up on the mountain, the Israelites are down on the valley, Exodus 32, And here's what happens. When the people saw that Moses was so long and coming down the mountain, they said, let's keep praying and worshiping and seeking God. Maybe he will speak. No. They gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. They were led to gross sin out of boredom. If God's not going to speak, we'll make a God who will speak. Did they find a more glorious God, a more powerful God, a more beautiful God? Not even close. They make a pathetic golden calf that can't even speak, but they think will allow them to do whatever they want to do. And what they wanted to do to stave off the boredom was gross, was debauched, was immoral so we have two things that come out of an unwillingness to face the silence. We have Moses who experienced an unparalleled time with God that shaped him and stamped him because he would wait. People that got too bored that needed a God to distract them were led to debauchery, to sin, and idolatry. That's the Old Testament, we could go to the New who had without a doubt, the most powerful ministry ever on earth? I know that's such an easy question in church. My daughter used to laugh when she was little that in Sunday school, nine times out of 10, the answer was Jesus. The little kids would say, baby Jesus, it was right. And so of course, you know, the right answer is Jesus. No one's had his impact, no one's had his ministry, but what were the rhythms in Jesus's life that led to such triumphant impact? Well, we're given a couple examples, many. Talk about two, Luke 5, 16. But Jesus, read this word with me, often. Not now and then, not once decided to try it. It was the pattern of his life to withdraw to lonely places and to pray. It's where he went, it was his pattern. And then when big things would happen, as we see in Matthew 14, 13, when Jesus heard what had happened, what had happened here is John the Baptist had just been killed. He withdrew by boat privately to by himself to a solitary place. Now Jesus knew what was going down. He knew after John the Baptist was killed, he was next in line. This is how it was prophesied. This is what's gonna happen. John has to be killed and then Jesus has to be killed. And he sees the horror in front of him. It's gonna get serious. It's gonna get real. Should I medicate myself? Give me some more wine. Should I eat myself silly? Let's just dance. I don't want to think about this. I just want to surround myself with mindless chatter so that I can forget what's going to happen. It's what a lot of us do. It's what the Israelites did. It's not what Jesus did. I need to get alone. I need to be with my heavenly father and I need to become strong. So both Moses and Jesus had this unparalleled experience and strength because they cultivated the quiet. Now, what do I mean by that? It's a phrase often used in the Christian classics. It talks about a disposition where we walk and live with a listening heart before God. We might not be completely quiet. Maybe you're humming a song as you walk through the woods. Maybe you've got an instrument in your hand. Maybe you're in your room, maybe you're taking a walk, but it's just you and God. You're stepping out of normal life to say, God, you matter to me more than anyone. I wanna spend time with you. I wanna be available to hear from you. I wanna focus on you. It's, it's entering that quiet silence where you can give your full heart and mind devotion to God. But it's so difficult for us to do this in this world. It's always been difficult. You've all heard the story of Mary and Martha. And what does Jesus say to Martha? She thinks her busyness is a badge of honor and she wants Mary to get on board. But what does Jesus say to her? Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. But there's need of only one thing. Isn't this everyone's story in here? Probably 90% of us at least. In fact, you woke up this morning or last night you went to sleep and you came here this morning and you know you are tending to think about all the worries and distractions that surround you. I just, this is not a rhetorical exercise. I'm gonna give you a little silence. Think about it. What are the worries and the distractions that are seizing your mind yesterday, today, this morning? What are they? I know they're there. Think about it. What are they? You know, that's just about 10 seconds of silence, but isn't isn't even that a little awkward? It's just hard. And what Jesus says this incredible invitation. You can put those aside, Martha. You don't have to obsess and fix everything and solve everything and know how everything is gonna work out. You know what, there's only one thing to focus on. And Mary found it, and what was that one thing? Devotion to Jesus, how would your life change? If you realize worries and distractions, they don't matter. You could focus on the one thing, devotion to Jesus. This is what builds the spiritual life. Your joy, your emotional and spiritual stability, your spiritual strength and anointing, your security and hope are all directly tied to your awareness of God's favor, blessing and grace. Everything we have is the spirit putting it through us. So we have to live in God's favor, God's blessing, God's grace. And if we stray or if we get distracted and worried, we forget, we forget. And then we're trying to do it on our own and we're trying to fix it on our own. But cultivating the quiet is a place where we go to remember it's about building a life that desires Him. You could build a life that has no room to desire Him. Do we have any fans of Fixer Upper? Chip and Joanna Gaines like to watch that. What is Chip's favorite day in the process? I'm gonna let you tell it for those who don't know. Chip says, it's. It's demo day, right? He loves it. He's tearing things down. He's using a sledgehammer, hammer, sometimes his foot. And they make it sound so fun because it's all done in about 22 minutes. It takes a little longer than that, trust me. But, But for Chip, that's his favorite day, demo day. If we wanna build a new spiritual house, we might have to destroy a lot of things that are distracting us, the things that keep us focused that steal our thoughts, that steal our passion, that steal our energy. If I wanna listen to Jesus, if I wanna have a heart left over to love Jesus, if I wanna think about Jesus, I have to demolish the things that are less than Jesus because I want to make Him, and I hope you want this too. This is what we're invited to do, to make Jesus the most significant relationship in our lives that nothing comes close. You guys say, well, that sounds kind of, if you don't know the Lord, yeah, that sounds so heavenly minded, but there's the thing. I'm a better husband when Jesus is my most central relationship. I'm gonna be a better father. I'm gonna be a better friend. I'm gonna be a better worker. It all flows out of keeping him first. Now, I know that's not easy, especially if you have young kids, they're running around. You can't compare the minutes you spend with God and the time you spend pouring juice and, cleaning up juice messes and all of that. But I found that when God knows your heart, he can make five minutes of silence with him, have five hours of impact. Susanna Wesley gave birth to John and Charles Wesley. She had 18 children. I think John and Charles were like 13 and 15 or something like that. If every other child was a hellraiser, she knocked it out of the park, giving the church Charles Wesley with incredible hymns, John Wesley, whose books and leadership has still impacts the church today. But they lived in smaller homes back then, 18 children. Women would wear different layers of skirts. And so she had this practice, she'd go into a corner and lift a skirt over her head, just sitting down. And the kids learn, you don't bother mama when her skirt's over her head. You just didn't do that. And I wonder what it said to John and Charles, looking at their mom in the corner. They might've wanted a cookie or they might've wanted this, but saying, what is it that mom's found that's so inviting and glorious? She wants to cut everything else out to focus on him. Do you think that was neglecting her kids or preaching the most powerful sermon her kids ever heard? When our kids were young, we had a friend, she had two kids, they lived in a very small house, and just had one bathroom, two kids, one bedroom for the kids and one for her and her husband and she was kind of an introvert, she needed to get away. She would just go into that tiny bathroom, turn off the lights, turn on the water just for background noise and just try to get alone to be with the Lord and sometimes that's all she needed. What are some other things that we can do to enter the quiet? Here are four things that will help. First, seek the quiet quickly. This is easy for me, because I'm a morning person. I know some of you are night people and morning might not be the best time, but it's a disposition to get into the quiet as soon as we can. It's the model of Jesus from Mark 1:35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. He knew he had a rocking and rolling day to come before him, but he wanted to connect with his heavenly father before he did that. A second thing I've learned from the classics and scriptures is to have a bridal tongue. A lot of times we'll just grow if we'll just shut up. We lose so much by having to bring noise, by always having to speak, because if I'm speaking, I'm not listening, which is why Proverbs says 1727, a truly wise person uses few words. So there are monks and nuns that would take vows of silence, sometimes for years on end, because of the spiritual growth that resulted when they knew they couldn't speak. Please get your spouse's permission before you try to do that. They might not take it as an act of worship, but they recognize it as a place of spiritual renewal. I'm kind of laughing saying this because our senior pastor, Kurt Taylor has had his jaw shut, wired shut for two. He hasn't said a word for two weeks. He's going to be a spiritual giant. When he gets, he's gonna have to wear the veil when he speaks to us, when he gets back. But hey, a lot of people have asked, the operation went well, just as well as they hoped. Pretty brutal the first week, he's starting to get back to reading, but I know he's watching online. So if you have prayed, are praying, you're committing to pray for him, could you just clap so Kirk could hear, he's remembered and he's being lifted up. God has so blessed us with him. It's not an easy job to have to take this time away for medical reasons, so please keep praying for him. A third thing that will help us enter the quiet is to live with the limited curiosity. Here's what I find throughout my life. I go through seasons of this. If I treasure the things that truly matter and think about them and remember them, I lose my fascination for the things that don't, but the reverse is true. If I fill my mind with things that don't really matter, I lose my passion for the things that really matter. Do, And so I love the way the classics say, you don't need to know everything. You don't need to explain everything. I had this last week, somebody had a juicy piece of gossip about a national leader. I said, I don't wanna know, stop. I don't need to know. There are things that we don't have to be a part of if we wanna focus on the one thing, Jesus. We will reserve energy for the things that really matter to us. How do you think the Nuggets head coach, Michael Malone, would feel if he found out this morning Jokic and Murray and some of the other key members of the Nuggets ran a marathon. But coach, we're gonna be there tonight, I promise. He goes, yeah, but it's not enough to be there. You've gotta reserve yourself, it's game two tonight, this matters, frankly, I think they could win even if they did, the way they're playing. But, but still, he said, you've gotta reserve your energy. If we really think that one thing matters we will limit our curiosity, one thing that's helped me Uh, to do this was the passing, recent passing of Tim Keller. How many of you have heard him preach or read his books? Just powerful man of God. I've had some affinity because some of the people online that have attacked me have attacked him sometimes for some of the same things. And I wish I could talk to him now. He's been in glory for two weeks. He sees God in his greatness. He knows how it ends. He knows what's going on. Tim, what would you tell me? I bet a lot of times he said, Gary, don't even pay attention to that. Don't worry about that. You think this matters, it doesn't. Here's what matters. Here's what the focus is. Just thinking about what it is like one hour into heaven when we're living eternity. How will we think about the things that, that distracted us, that worried us, and that kept us from the one thing that truly matters? The fourth thing is gonna sound like a cliche. I know Kurt and I say it so often, but it's true. Turn it off so you can turn spiritual insight on. The thing that keeps us so distracted, and if I was up on the mountain that would have kept me from needing a veil, we carry it in our pocket. These phones, we don't have to be distracted for a minute. We have the news, we have music, we have stuff to stream, we have games to play. And if we're not careful, this can take our focus away from the things that really do. And it's not just doing it for the sake of nothing, it's I need to turn this off so that I can turn spiritual insight on. You might say, well, why? What's the point of all of this? And I just ask this, here's what we're missing. Do you really think God wants to have the limited impact in your life that He's having now? Do you really think he doesn't have more to say to you? Do you believe that he can speak directly, that if you give him time, he wants to have an intimate presence in your life? What if he wants to warn you? You know that child who seems increasingly sullen? They're making some really bad decisions. They need somebody to ask them, hey, what's going on really? Do you believe that God will speak that way? What if you might say, you know your marriage is starting to drift. You're excited about this or this new hobby. Your spouse is feeling cold. You, you need to be pulled back. God has spoken directly to me about my marriage. What if God is very direct? You know what, you really, you really need to see a doctor. Think he could bring healing that way? A lot of you will remember Jack Hayford. I think he died within the last year so. Powerful man of God. One time he was just drinking a diet soda And he felt the spirit saying, you really shouldn't be drinking that stuff. Okay, a year later it came out, it's what causes cancer. Do you believe that God wants to be silent or that he is willing and able if we will just be quiet to speak that directly in our lives? But you see, a loud and a crowded and an overly busy life, it's a secular life. We don't actively rebel against God, but we do what I call passive rebellion. My kids were brilliant at this. If I would step out and it was time for them to get their bass and wrap up playing, and they knew it, they could be three feet from, me. I could scream, hey, bad time, guys, we gotta get going, wrap it up. And they would pretend they couldn't hear me because they knew they couldn't just shake their fists at me. Forget you, dad, we don't wanna do it. They had tasted the fruit of that response. It wasn't sweet. They weren't gonna do it again, but then it's the next day and they're a hundred feet from me. It's the afternoon and I whisper, hey kids, I got some ice cream. Hurry up before mom gets home. They have supermans here. Suddenly they hear me from a mile away. It's not that they're, they're not trying to rebel, but they just pretend they don't hear. How many of us do that to God? We're not gonna shake our fist, forget you God, but we fill our lives with so much. Well, I don't feel convicted. I haven't heard God say anything, but can I just say, if he's saying it's time for you to take a bath, it's because you stink. You need to take a bath. But maybe he wants to say, I've got some ice cream. I've got this blessing and you're too busy to receive it. I want you to slow down, open up your arms and hear what I have to say. The problem is that entertainment is making it so difficult to do, I would say more difficult today than really in the history of the world. Studies have shown just from 2000, before we had smartphones to 2015, the natural human attention span has gone down from 12 seconds to 8.25. That's a huge cut, and before you feel good about 8.25, goldfish have an attention span of nine seconds. We're worse than goldfish who have nothing to be distracted by. It's the same ceramic castle, the same plastic weeds. And we can't pay attention as long as they have. And I hear this as a writer all the time when I update my books, publishers always say, shorter chapters, shorter books, people just can't pay attention. And it's not just this day, it's it's where we've been moving as a culture in the late 19th century. The 1800, St. Theophan the Recluse, one of my favorite classical writer of mine. He was a Russian Orthodox priest, eventually canonized in that tradition. Said so one of the greatest hindrances was the rise of the entertainment culture. This is before iPads and iPhones and beat headphones and all of that. Before all of that, he said, young people were becoming increasingly unable to deal with reality. He described the typical young man. He does not like to sit home does not like to stay in one place, does not like to concentrate on only one activity and it makes him bored with reality. But here's the thing, real life can be a little boring. Now we can cover up the boredom by going to our idols, but real life has drudgery, real jobs have drudgery. Even romantic relationships have times of drudgery, but we don't think there should be We've learned to fear it instead of embrace it and use it. And it leads us to a life of idolatry instead of a life of devotion. And I'll admit, even as a father, I I didn't get this right. When my daughter was about to turn 12, I got this great speaking invitation at a resort in Orlando, light speaking, just a few times, a day and a half. Kelsey was gonna turn 12, so I let her invite her best friend And it was a great week for Kelsey to celebrate her birthday. We were at this luxury resort, the kind that had turned down twice, once in the morning, once in the evening. When the maid found out that I had two girls there, she left extra mints on the pillow. When I was speaking, which wasn't much, they could swim in a luxury pool, just enjoy the whole resort, it was a great time. then we went to three different theme parks they could go to which ones they wanted to and only the sections they wanted to. They didn't have brothers or other sisters there that wanted to do this. I mean, it was just this great week opportunity, but the challenge was we lived in Bellingham, Washington. So we had to drive down to Seattle, then fly from Seattle to Orlando. And that's about the longest flight you can take in the continental United States. It could be over five hours. And so we were putting together their backpacks where they had puzzles and stickers and whatever 12 year old girls did back then. And I, I don't know who coined this, but I remember one of them saying, yeah, we got our survival packs for the flight. I'm like, wait a minute, only in America, there two girls who are going to one week of unparalleled fun catered toward them every minute of the day need a survival pack because the flight to get there might be five hours. But isn't that where we go as parents? We don't want our kids to have to face that boredom. And what happens if they don't learn to face and use boredom as kids? They become teenagers and the stakes are raised. Teens that don't wanna be, well, hey, I'm bored. Hey, how about we get high or drunk? Then we won't feel bored. Or they're trying to develop a romantic relationship. Well, this is boring. Let's have sex even though we're not married or let's go commit vandalism or petty theft. Or Let's drive like crazy people because it's exciting. I just don't want to be bored until eventually, then they do it all at once. They've shown studies of young people, ostensibly watching a movie, playing a video game, texting, listening to music and talking to each other, five things at once. One diversion isn't enough, but if you're doing five things at once, young people, if you're doing five things at once, you're missing the one thing that matters. This is not to shame you. You, If you've heard me, I'm not in that. I want you to be different. I want you to be a person of significance. I want you to seek weight and not amusement. You can have more insight than your friends. You can have more joy and power and intimacy with God. And the thing is, I think that's where Satan is tempting you. He just wants you to forget God's grace, God's mercy, God's call. Don't think about that, here's a bobble. Don't think about this, this is really colorful. Don't think about this, this feels really cool. Just don't think about Him. He's got an endless store of diversions, worries and distractions. But adults, we know it's not just children, it's not just teens, it's us. If we don't handle boredom when we're kids and teens and we become adults and what do we do? I'm bored in my marriage. I think I'll have an affair or I'll just skip out on my marriage and become a golfaholic or a workaholic or an alcoholic. I just don't wanna be bored. One woman admitted she's 40 years old. She gets bored at her job. And so she just goes out, smokes a cigarette and plays Candy Crush. That really, What what was that costing her, a chance where God could speak? But no, I need nicotine and Candy Crush until the boredom passes and then I can go back. Is it worth it? Candy Crush and nicotine worth more than listening to the voice of God? See, there is such power, such tremendous power when there's spiritual focus. You know what would happen if the sun's rays and power and light was focused on one acre of land, if the sun was just focused on one acre of land, it wouldn't exist anymore. It'd be a laser that would cut through it. Everything would be destroyed. The only reason the earth can withstand the sun's heat is that it's diffused over the entire planet. If you focus it, it's too much power for the earth to handle. What would happen if God's spirit could focus in your life? If everything wasn't diffused with worries and distractions, you were letting God be focused, imagine the power you would have in your life. What I'm gonna say here, I don't believe is hyperbole, I believe it's biblically true that in Christ, not because of who you are, not because you're a good person, but who God can be in you, you were meant to be a container of extraordinarily exalted powers generated by God's own presence. Why settle for less? Why do we settle for? Think about what distracts you. Is it worth that? Is it worth a listless spiritual life so that I can have my cigarette and Candy Crush solitaire, whatever it is that keeps me distracted. And so we sleepwalk through the earth. Augustine had this phrase. He talked about his life before Christ. Thus with the baggage of this present world was I held down pleasantly, as in sleep. Because it wasn't agonizing, but I was kind of sleepwalking. And so maybe you don't feel the pain. Do you hear God's call? There can be more of me in your life. I can speak to you more directly. I can give you more power. I can give you more assurance. I can take away some of those fears and worries if you'll just get away and focus on me. That what Jesus said to Martha, I believe he says to us today, Martha, you're worried and distracted by many things. There's need of only one thing, it's devotion to Jesus. I can run around worried and distracted, and then I get quiet. Sometimes one sentence, one phrase, sometimes one word from God is like, oh, all of a sudden I have a new lease on life, a, a new perspective. God wants to have that presence. And here's the thing, when we remember the beauty of Christ, the glory of Christ, the sufficiency of Christ, the wonder of Christ, the truth of Christ, that's when we lose our taste for the lesser, things of this world. The psalmist invites us to taste and see that the Lord is good. A lot of us don't necessarily know the goodness of God because we don't taste. We have to taste before we see. The way we taste is that we go into the quiet. We let God have his time to speak. And when he does, say, oh, this is the invitation of a lifetime. This truly is the one thing that matters. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful, I'm so grateful that you're so beautiful and loving and kind and powerful that this is an invitation, it's not an obligation. If we will just give you a little, you give us so much. And Lord, there could be some young people here that are just, they just know they are so diffused spiritually. They've given you words, they haven't given you their heart or their focus and you just wanna say there is more, they haven't experienced you like you want them to know you. And Lord, there might be some older people here that the aches and pains of life, the fears, the concerns have kept them from thinking about you. Lord, I pray that they could just pause, step back. As our kids go to camp, they would go to the quiet and be shown a new side of who you are and how sufficient for us you are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.